0: Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound brought to you by SOS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business success. And here with me today is Aspen Fries Jensen, co-founder and chief growth officer at Userflow, a no-code tool for building customized in-app tours, checklists, and surveys. Userflow was able to bootstrap to over 500 customers and millions in ARR, with just a team of three. And well, who doesn't want to know how you did it? (laughs) So (laughs) super excited to have you here.
1: Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having me here on the show.
0: Sure. Okay. Well, and uh, first of all, uh, this is your not your first rodeo, right? Uh, you've had businesses before, uh, but this one went in a totally different direction with a totally different you know, team and uh, just the whole setting. So how did you get here? Can we dig into your background a bit?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm originally from Denmark, uh, Copenhagen, um, but uh, and I used to work as a consultant in a big consultancy company, Accenture. Uh, but then back in twenty thirteen, I, me and three friends from Denmark decided to start a company. Uh, so we moved to the U.S. to join an accelerator, uh, and then we just ended up staying there. Uh, That company was called Cobalt, uh, and it's a cybersecurity software as a service company that uh, today is Series B, closing in on a Series C, 200 plus employees, uh, still doing great. Um, And I was there for eight years, uh, and then I decided I wanted to get back to the startup uh, kind of world, startup roots. Uh, and uh, so I joined my, my friend Sebastian in uh, starting a new company called Userflow. Uh, and this time we were not gonna raise capital. We were gonna do it a bit differently and it's been a lot of fun.
0: Okay, that's quite a ride. So uh, how do you go from raising, and uh, as far as I remember, Cobalt raised 37 million the last time yeah. you raised. Yeah, right? oh, so that's the total.
1: Go- yeah. yeah, I think they raised 37 in total. Uh, yeah, no, I think when, when we started Cobalt, um, we, we saw that as the only avenue, right? We didn't know about bootstrapping and we were first time founders, uh, so it was all new. And the fundraising route was kind of that was the only way to do to do a tech startup uh, back then Uh, nobody was talking about bootstrapping exactly um so we we did the accelerator we pitched we raised an angel round and then a seed round and then a a round and a b round right and so we we went on that traditional vc journey um i would say one thing we didn't do which i We've seen a a lot of companies do uh, at least two years ago, Uh, but we also saw back then we didn't go out and raise like a huge round of money in in one go Um, uh, before we had product market fit. It was more like gradual kind of fundraisers. Um, And in that way, we actually avoided raising on the wrong uh, product market fit model. Uh, We actually ended up pivoting pivoting from uh, one model to another and I think it would have been a lot harder to do that if we had raised like a huge round of money on a big valuation on the on the old model
0: right oh i I hear a lot of founders say that like thank God we didn't go and raise money two years ago, and like everyone's yeah. kind of just uh remembering how easy it was but then you know the just the backlash that it's getting right now it's it's super crazy uh but okay so user flow went in a totally different direction what was the biggest um oh my god moment uh when you when you started bootstrapping
1: uh, I mean, for us, it's, it's been a kind of step-by-step journey. I think our biggest advantage, both Sebastian and I, are second-time founders. Um, so we knew a lot of stuff. And uh, so, so we we went into it believing in ourselves that we could do it and, and bootstrap the business. But of course, it was surprising that we could grow at the same rate as a VC-backed company. Uh and, uh, yeah, so I think that was probably the biggest surprise, uh, that, that we were able to do that without having to go out and hire a lot of people. Uh, as you mm-hmm. said, we're just a team of three. We're still yeah. growing and we're not planning to hire anybody anytime soon. <laughs> so. Okay. So, yeah it's been so it does insane. get
0: easier right the second time because I was talking to another Dane and he was saying that you know it, it's kind of difficult to to just put a cap on this first experience and be cool with the fact that maybe the second business will not be as successful but in your case it is
1: yeah no for sure I, I definitely it's a it's 10x easier the second time yeah um, you know more or less how to build in my case the go to market model in Sebastian's case, how to build the baseline sas uh, foundation like coding it and so on right So you have a lot of like learnings that you don't have to redo uh, and the first time we we learned all that right and and had to grind and you know we we didn't take the easy route it was like we we worked a lot on things that are we we could have automated earlier and so on. So, I went into right. Userflow being able to automate a lot of stuff uh, from from early on.
0: Okay, oh, well that makes sense, of course. Okay, yeah. so uh, how did you um, how did you come up with it in the first place? I mean, you were in a security uh, startup yeah. space, <laughs> and then you went to totally different direction.
1: Yeah, no. uh, So I I can tell my story of how I get into it, but also just to tell the origin story was that uh, actually my co-founder Sebastian, he was building another product, which was a video kind of recording tool, and uh, he wasn't gaining a lot of traction with that. uh, But uh, then he, as part of that, had built an onboarding journey, and everybody was asking him, "How did you build that? Can we build the same?" and so they were asking him about the onboarding journey instead of his actual product, and then he went out and looked at the market and kind of saw, okay, there's definitely a gap in the market. There's a lot of players in the market, but there was a gap in like making it easy and nice. Um, so so that's where he got like the idea to to do Userflow. Um, and my journey into it, it was that at Cobalt we had uh, worked on a project to become more product-led when we started Cobalt back in 2013, we were a very product-led business, but then over the years uh, we became more and more sales-led and and became a very sales-led business. Um, And uh, then when we started that project to go back to the product-led, that that was something that intrigued me and I really love the whole product-led model. Um, And then when I got the opportunity to join Sebastian and one, build a company, that, that's doing product-led growth, but also uh, build a company that's serving other companies who want to be more product-led uh, was something I found very, very interesting, and that's why I decided to do it.
0: That's interesting. Okay. So uh, on one hand, there is Sebastian, who didn't uh, take it, you know, personally, didn't say, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I, I'm building a different thing. Like, love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there is you that, okay, that edit. Your own layer to it, cool. So uh, with product-led uh, growth and with product-led companies, uh, I hear very polar um, opinions about how to go to market with it. So on one hand, you've got uh, startups that want to go full on, build on, build in public, and you know, just tell everything about like all the bugs, all the features, how you're doing it. Uh, uh, And on the other hand, uh, there are people that are building in private, right? And they say, you know, if you're a product lad, then you have no right to put a product on the market that is not good enough for people to use, right? Or that Mm -hmm. is not good enough to solve the problem. So where do you stay between those two?
1: Yeah, I think we're we're somewhere in the middle. We're not like uh build in public. Uh we don't do that, uh, but we definitely iterate fast. I think that was one of the learnings out of uh out of Cobal was that when you're a sales led business trying to become product led, one of the biggest challenges is actually this fast iteration, like being able to release something quickly, learn from that, reiterate, and move on, right? Um and with user flow, we are definitely iterating faster. So we are releasing uh, stuff uh, that is not perfect, but it's good enough. Right. Um, and Sebastian is an amazing engineer. So what he builds as a baseline, good enough is, is great. What other, what others would call <laughs> great. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, we do take a pride in, in delivering a good product, but it's not, we are, we are very um, focused on not. Doing something that takes forever, uh, we I would say any feature we build is basically like it doesn't take more than two months max to to release. Um, so yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, and there are just three of you, right? So the uh, I think communication in such a small team it just it just happens. So you just you just do what what you do, uh, right? Yeah. And it also takes uh, a lot less time.
1: Yeah, I think a great example is our latest feature. We just launched an AI assistant. So everybody's doing, uh, you know, GPT-4 yeah, stuff. <laughs> and we completely cleaned our roadmap to to do that. Uh, so back in February, we kind of looked at this GPT-4 API coming. And then we were like, okay, we need to do something in this space. Uh, and the most obvious thing for us was to build like an AI assistant, basically like an AI support widget um and for that we we build a baseline or specs encoded it right uh, that he then released uh, what is it now three weeks ago or something um and now we're still iterating right but it took us you know two months to get it out the baseline feature and now we're still iterating on it um but it was not like a i think for many other businesses it would have been a six-month project right but that's. That's too late in this kind of world where you need to move fast and and learn. Um, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think with the with the rise of uh, ChatGPT, everyone's kind of expecting all the companies out there just magically uh, get ChatGPT on every website, every product. So yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. In this space, you have to move super fast. But yeah. okay. Let's talk a bit about your, your customer acquisition, right? And again, with product like growth um, and not building in public, right? How yeah. did you go with that? How did you approach your first customers? Did your previous startup, your previous experience help with that network maybe?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the, our very first customers were t- completely through network. Um, but that was like the first maybe five or ten uh and from that uh, the second batch of customers we got from product hunt like a lot of other businesses we did a product hunt campaign and then we got customers through that um so those were like the early customers right and typically when the customers you get at that stage are also like smaller businesses that are great for that point in time but in the long run they might Some of them might turn out to be great long-time customers, but others are like you know very very small businesses that that uh, are great for that early phase, but they might not be the best fit for your product later on. Um, So so we got a lot of good feedback, early feedback, and a lot of those customers are still customers today. Um, But then we realized, okay, we also need like we didn't realize we knew we had to build a, a more sustainable. go-to-market model, right? And that's where we uh, added uh, primarily SEM as a beginning. Um, so basically like adding uh, search engine marketing via Google primarily. Um, and then we also started looking at SEO, how can we improve SEO? do more content, um, especially with the rise of product-led growth, it was perfect that we could, as a product-led business, speak about product-led growth while also serving product-led Growth businesses, um, so we could do a bit of like content around that. How do you build great product-led onboarding or product-led growth processes and so on? Um, so that's actually one thing we've been very public about is is how we go to market. Uh, I've done a whole video series about how we do product-led growth at Userflow. So we have the SEM, SEO channels. Uh, but then when the user, we have a free trial. So when the user sign up, we have a great, we use user flow and user flow, of course. So we onboard them, get them to that yeah. initial aha moment, uh, and then they see the value right away and and hopefully they then end up buying, right? Um, so, so it's a very product-led growth approach from the time we acquired them, basically.
0: Right. So what, what's the aha moment that, that you know, you're, you're pushing, that is your your call to action? Is it the ease of, of building this or what are you looking for?
1: Yeah, so we are, we're a builder tool, right? So that's uh, the ease of building is like the number one thing. Uh, so that's yeah. the very first thing we show our customers uh, when they sign up for a free trial is how fast they can build, uh, for instance, an onboarding flow with user flow. And uh, so, when they sign up, we have like a, a flow and a user flow flow that basically guides them how to build their very first flow. And they have one build in like three minutes. And then it's like, wow, I can build this. Um, and they're building it on their own product um, because we have a Chrome extension that basically allows them to do that. So, uh, technically, when you have to launch user flow on your own product, you have to install a small piece of code. But we made a Chrome extension so you can kind of mimic the same experience, oh, cool. uh, but only on your local machine, right? Um, so in that way, you can, as a product manager or designer or customer success manager, you can get that aha moment without having to involve any developers. Um, so that's been key for us. Right, P4's, fully uh, code experience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then when yeah, they are bought awesome. over, then they can ask the developer to install the code and uh, it's super easy.
0: Right. Yep. Okay. More and more on this podcast, I feel like I, I should not only research about the products that we're talking about, but I should try them all because they all seem yep. so exciting. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, no, for sure. Later.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, speaking about that, it's actually, and I've done that, um, I've done a video series where I, I signed up for some popular SaaS tools to review their onboarding. And it's also always been a great way to learn about how you can improve stuff yourself, like sign up for some popular SaaS products, see what their experience is, like what are they doing to onboard customers? What are their aha moments? You can really learn a lot. And and most importantly, sign up for your own product uh, on a regular basis, so you can actually see what the experience is uh, for an end user.
0: Right. Okay. So you're making it happen for every like non-technical person out there. And uh, um, as far as I know, you also push this like self-serve kind of uh, flow onto them, right? And uh, what I noticed uh, coming from a tech startup um, is that it's usually done when when it's for developers because developers don't want to like com- basically communicate with anybody, right? They, they know how everything should work, so like they can't do this. Um this is not a developer tool you are targeting a no. very different group of people right so yep. why do you uh yeah why do you still want it to be as self-served as as possible
1: No i think uh, developers has long been on that journey right but what has happened in the the SaaS industry in general and, and not only in the SaaS industry but in any industry is that it's a new generation coming along and we are some people are calling it the end user era. Uh, that you basically uh, people expect to be able to self serve. Uh, they are brought up with uh, like digitally, and and that that has uh, like uh, made them made this world into a world where people expect to be able to self serve. And it's not just developers; it's everyone wanting to do that. Uh, when you go and want to try out a product, product you don't really want to schedule a demo and wait for that demo to be scheduled and then do a call and so on, right? Uh, Unfortunately, I see a lot of companies who are pushing that process on their employees, right, because they're kind of saying you need to evaluate 10 tools and then you end up in that kind of meeting process. And reality is it's almost impossible to assess a tool based on demos. Uh, You can get an initial idea. Uh, but you really need to, at least for tools where you need to use them regularly, you need to experience them hands-on uh, to really try them, right? Um, so what we have done at Userflow is, is really uh, fully buy into that end-user era, and, and, and we are serving that audience who want to self-serve. Uh, we do have video demos on our website, and we do have a schedule, a demo form, but we really want to incentivize them doing the trial instead of doing the, a, a meeting.
0: Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business, consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage and scale for SaaS companies. Lock your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades, all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Right, okay. And uh, coming back to uh, the fact that you're also just a three-people team, right? And you've got so many customers and a ton of uh, uh, money in ARR. (laughs) So uh, how do you, um, you know, of course the onboarding is uh, self-serve, but... um, what about your uh, customer support? Like, how are you able to support the users, yeah. the customers that you have? You know, are you jumping on calls 24-7 or <laughs> how is this no, structured? No, I think,
1: yeah, that's also the so two things uh, when it comes to support. Um, we do well to reduce support tickets. Is one, uh, and that's the number one thing, is if we see a recurring support issue, we always fix it in the product, right? We go in and look at the root cause and then we fix it in the product. We spent, I used to say like 40%, uh, maybe it's more, uh, but around that on solving UX challenges, solving support challenges in the product, right? And then the rest on new features. Um, So we really um, see that as a high priority to reduce support tickets by fixing it in the product, solving the root cause instead of hiring people. Uh, right. Then the second thing we do is we push back a lot, like because people have a tendency to say, I have a problem. Can question. we set up a call? <laughs> uh, can we set up a call to solve my problem? Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, we really believe in Loom there. Uh, so we push people back and say, can you explain it in text? If you cannot explain it in text, send us a video. Um, uh, the argument is really... If they send a video, one, they think a bit more about their issue, and it's not, they have to also think about, okay, am I doing everything correctly here uh, or not? Uh, and secondly, it gives us a possibility to not respond in real time in a meeting um, and have more people look at the problem if it really is a complex problem to solve, right? Um, so it's really, uh, I think it's benefiting everyone that you're doing it as a video instead of doing it as a meeting where people have to think on their feet to solve a problem, right? right. Um, and have to find a space in the schedule and all these different things. So we are very like pushing back, asking for videos. And I think you need to do that. You, you really have to always push towards video, push towards documentation uh, and so forth. And then the most recent development has been our AI assistant, which has even more dramatically reduced our support tickets. It's, it's amazing how it can respond to, to questions. It's basically using our knowledge base uh, to answer questions. Uh, so it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it really gives great answers uh, as good as we would give them. So yeah, it's been great.
0: All right. a tricky question. Is customer always right?
1: Uh, no, of course not. Um, I mean, customer. you should always listen to your customers. So there's a big difference to that, right? You should always listen to your customers. But customers might uh, have suggestions or requests that are not reasonable or, or might be better solved in another way. But you should always listen to what are their needs, what is it they're looking for. Um, and yeah, sometimes it can get almost... Uh, A bit intense if somebody really wants a call and you're kind of like pushing back on it. Yeah. Uh, I try not to um, become too annoying, but I I do feel the need to just give them a push because I know if you don't do that, you're never going to change the behavior. Then it's just going to be another call next time, another call next time, another call next time. And it's really about changing that behavior for your customers on what they should expect when they reach out to you. Um, So it can feel a bit uncomfortable, asking for those things, but in the long run, it, it, it works.
0: Okay. All right. So uh, AI for, for solving like simpler questions, yeah. right? Not, I, I wouldn't loon. say
1: simpler questions. Uh, this GPT, uh, it's it's even advanced questions it can help solve. Oh. Um, so of course, there are certain scenario questions it it's having a harder time solving, but. In general, it responds really well. Um, yeah, we are we are, we've been uh, very surprised, and we are always dog fooding, right? We're always using our own products uh, to learn. And in the beginning, it was it was uh, okay, but now it's just amazing. And and we it becomes a lot more about making your dogs better, right? Like suddenly you discover gaps in your documentation because the AI can only answer based on my documentation. So um, if you have certain gaps there, then you, it becomes more about doc- documentation optimization, rather than uh, a- getting the AI adjusted basically.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Okay. All right. So uh, let's get back to a uh, product like roles and your customer acquisition, right? It was the network first and then uh, a bit of product hunt and a bit of everything. Uh, what's yeah. now the biggest uh, customer acquisition channel?
1: I think it's still SEM is a big one. Uh, SEM has been really great for us, uh, but word of mouth has, of course, increased over time. Right? Uh, if you build a great product, people will speak about that product and they will refer it to their friends and and speak about it. Uh, and you can uh, empower that by having things like G two and Captera, where people share reviews and 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 stuff like that. So that's. Those two channels have been great for us, and then SEO has been growing all the time. SEO is this like long, hard journey, right? You, yeah. you put content out there and it gets better and better, but it's a, a much more in, intangible, hard to measure journey, um, uh, but it definitely has given us a, a lot as well.
0: Right. And obviously, uh, it seems like you're growing your personal brand really well, because, you know, I, I just put your name into Google and then I got like ten pages of just podcasts. So, okay.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the future, right? Like um, we so in my view, outbound is if not dead, then close to dying. Uh, and with AI, it's going to be even more spammy. Um, so we'll see. Um, But uh, what people started doing, uh, then we moved to LinkedIn, right? Initially, there was email outbound. Then we moved to LinkedIn outbound. And that worked for a while. For Kobo, LinkedIn outbound did wonders, right? In that era from 2013 to uh, whenever, 2018, LinkedIn outbound was like an amazing channel, right? You could, like, people were really like, this is a personal connection. I really want to do a demo or sign up for a product. But then it became like email, people didn't want to, you know, they, it got spammy, right? So people didn't want to look at it anymore. Uh, and what people then started moving towards was this social selling, right? Like building your brand online, uh, posting about real topics, being authentic. Um, and that's basically also what I've been doing, just being myself, being authentic, writing about it on various channels, speaking on podcasts. So I love that because it's, It's a much more authentic way to do marketing than just spamming people with a bunch of messages.
0: True, hundred percent agree. Uh, All right, but but let's talk about retention a bit because uh, in my head, um, you know, maybe I don't know uh, the product too much, but um, well, it's great for for, uh, building an onboarding flow, but you know, how many of those do you need? So, um, how long yeah. do customers stay with you and, you know, how do you make sure they do?
1: Yeah. So first of all, it's a subscription model. So if you, you if you're not subscribing, uh, the flows won't run, right? So if you just build one flow and then you want it to run all the time, you need to sustain yeah. the subscription. Right. Uh, but of course we want people to use it more than that and expand their use cases and expand their usage. And the way we look at it, onboarding never ends, right? So you might build that initial welcome flow or welcome checklist uh, and onboarding guidance. But then uh, we have features such as the resource center that, um, you know, uh, is an always on kind of mechanism for ongoing support. We have feet. You can do feature announcements so you can announce new features, guide people to uh, drive those features. Um, and, and so on. So it's really onboarding never ends. And we're using all those same tools to keep our customers retained, right? Like announce new features, ongoing support, uh, make sure you are uh, all constantly introducing great new things that they, uh, new shiny objects that they can uh, look at, right? Um, so so it's, it's definitely something we are very focused on the retention piece, uh, but yeah, I mean, in general, even a customer just building that initial onboarding can get like a ton of value from just having that running on userflow basically.
0: All right. Okay. Uh, so can you maybe share a hack that's working for you retention-wise?
1: Yeah, I think uh, for us, one one thing we, so besides from using userflow and userflow, we also do emails um, and one thing we do, um, or two things I would say we do well is We have emails with like tips and tricks, like uh, we send emails on like how you can do things smarter. uh, And we have a cadence for that. Um, We're planning to make it more personalized, but right now it's just a fixed cadence, basically giving like tips and tricks uh, on how you can get more out of user flow. So you get those emails like a drip campaign or or your subscription time, right? So it's not like you get everything at once, but you get like different tips, once in a while. It's something we actually got the idea from superhuman where the CEO is sending those kind of emails on a regular basis. Um, So that's been great for us. And then the second thing, uh, as I've said, done a number of video series with best practices. So I see that as a scalable way to share knowledge uh, without having to do like hundreds of meetings, then do a video series that basically explains how do you build your first onboarding? How do you uh, what is onboarding best practices? How do user flow do product led growth? You know, these kind of things so people can sit down and learn on their own time. Uh, those kind of mechanisms have been been great for us uh, too.
0: Yeah, interesting. I think it's it's a very powerful tool when when you just show people how it's done, because if you go into yeah. into a, a tool, a website, And it's kind of like, it should be self-explanatory. It's a simple tool, but then if no one shows you like what buttons to click, basically, uh, I don't know, it still creates friction and then you, you don't want to touch it and then it becomes just like this hanging around tool that you're never going to use. So, yeah, yeah, I think, um, In-app onboarding,
1: in-app onboarding guides as you can do with Userflow. That is powerful, but also, yes, video will always be powerful. Uh, As long as you make the videos short enough so they're engaging for people to watch, uh, then then it's good.
0: Yeah, and on that note, I really loved, like, once there was a time when I thought, well, why don't I uh, try and learn development? (laughs) (laughs) And that went sideways, of course. But uh, I really loved how Scrimba did it. I think they've got like the most amazing onboarding experience ever. When you just like you know, it's a video, but then you can also like do stuff inside. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's still like such a wow <laughs> experience for me. That um, yeah. Do you have that? <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, you can build pretty much the same with Userflow. Uh, so yeah, oh, cool. uh, you, can embed, okay.
0: you can embed, you can embed videos.
1: You can make it short form videos that auto start and so on. So yeah, you can build really cool, uh, stuff. Um, uh, if you have the creative creativity, right. Uh, and again, learn from, don't invent the plate, learn from what others are doing. Um, yeah, it's a great way to do it.
0: Cool. All right. Okay. Uh, so, um, Something else I wanted to ask about bootstrapping, right? Because you're bootstrapped, uh, how do you manage that? Uh, You're a team of three. So basically I I would assume that uh, payroll is not your your biggest spending. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, But um, what are the rules basically to bootstrapping that you have?
1: Uh, payroll is our biggest expenditure, uh, actually. <laughs> uh, okay. But uh, because we don't, <laughs> spend, we SaaS we're, we're SaaS business. We're we're a SaaS business, right? Uh, so we don't have a lot of expenses, really. We have the cloud servers. Um, so that's the power of software, uh, pure software. You don't have a lot of cost, really. Um, and if you're not adding people, you're not adding, you know, costs. Uh, to that. Uh, but payroll is still the biggest. And I think for any business, it will always be the biggest um, expense, uh, at least okay. in SaaS. Um, but yeah, bootstrapping, our rules is just, you know, uh, one, be be hyper focused on building a great product. One, uh, two is like, uh, we should charge for our product and we should not be scared to charge what it's worth. I think that's where a lot of like founders fail and they need to in the upraising capital, is they're too afraid to charge for their products. And, and, um, we, we've done that more or less from day one. We've charged the subscription fee for, for a product and we've increased prices over the years. Um, uh, looking at the rest of the market where the pricing was and adjusting accordingly. Um, so, so that's, those are things you need to do. Uh, always think about monetization. Um, don't, don't see that as a, monetization will come. No, it won't come unless you make it a, a focus yeah. uh, for your business. Um, and Absolutely. then as any other bootstrap business, we, of course, think about our expenses, right? We don't just go out. And uh, in our case, it's like we, we don't hire anybody, right? So that's uh, excluding a lot of expenses. But we also don't spend like a ton of money on on random stuff. We really only spend it on the, on the most important uh, things. Um, so th- things like... Sub two, uh, type two penetration testing; those are important things because with it we can really drive a lot more sales. So those are big, bigger expenses that we want to do, but we don't go out and like throw, you know, like let's say conferences. Right, we might not go to all conferences because the return on investment on many conferences are not there. Right, and we really look at the payback period and and kind of how many customers do we need. If we go to this conference, and I think a lot of VC funded businesses, they might say they do that, but they don't do that. Like they will just go to those conferences to brand themselves to be there, but they're not looking at what is the amount of customers they need from this conference and what is the payback period. Uh, But that's something as bootstrap business we're much more focused on.
0: Yeah. Okay. So about charging. You started charging very early, right? How yeah. did you uh, develop your pricing, and uh, where do you stand uh, with the, like the textbook um, requirements of sales business changing or testing their pricing every three months?
1: No, uh, so we 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 joined a crowded market, right? So we had some reference points to look at. Uh, so I think that's always a great start. Look at your reference points. Who are your competitors? What are they charging? Uh, I think we like at that point to put ourselves in the middle, not be the cheapest, not be the most expensive, but be something in between that, right? Um, And then uh, over time, we've increased those prices as we continue to look at where's the competition going, but also as our product gained more value, uh, more features, more things. Um, And you can always, I think, you can always raise your prices until somebody will start complaining. If you stop growing at some point, uh, then you you should maybe look at it, but, uh, you know, most founders or most businesses can increase their prices a lot more than they think. Um, then the second thing we did with pricing was to keep it simple. Uh, so we only have three packages. We still only have three packages like startup pro and enterprise, uh, and with enterprise it's a paperwork package. So that's another, I think great thing we do to reduce, um, uh, friction is that we, we say, if you want to do paperwork, if you don't want to do online terms, if you want to do security questionnaires, uh, then you need to buy this much more expensive plan. Um, but if you're okay with looking at our online policies, if you're satisfied with our SOC 2 type 2 uh, compliance and uh, you you can do online terms, then you can buy a much more affordable pro package, right? Um, so we are kind of... Um, we're charging for friction, right? We're charging the companies who want to add friction in the procurement process. Um, and that's worked wonders for us. It's been really a, a great, great thing. Um, so, so, yeah, and, and yes, I agree with revisiting your pricing every three months, and typically it would be to increase your pricing. I would say, at least in the early stages, uh, that's, yeah. that's what you should look at. Can I increase my pricing just a bit more? And you can always grandfather. I I believe in grandfathering. I think some people don't believe in that, but I think it's the fair approach is to always grandfather. Um, So existing customers can stay on their existing plan at the the cost they're paying.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. All right. So, do you have customers that still are on that uh, first pricing?
1: Yeah, I actually think we do. Uh, we do have some of those on the very early plans, uh, but we're always introducing new features and stuff. So, and they don't get added to those plans. So typically they're going to start looking at, at, uh, at that. Um, and then, yeah, the other big thing I want to mention around pricing as we did that both at Cobalt and at UserFlow is, oh, okay. You, you of course need transparent pricing. I product growth uh, rule number one. So it needs to be on your website. But the second thing we're doing, and we did that both at Kobol and UserFlow is um, usage based pricing. Uh, So we in UserFlow, it's monthly active users. So how many unique users uh, who sign into your app in a given month? Uh, We have different levels for that. So if you're on our pro plan, you can buy more and more of that. And we charge more depending on how many. Monthly active users you have, so the more success you're having with your product, the more we charge you. Um, so it's a a, co- a correlation between value and 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 price. Um, and then the in Cobalt it was uh, uh, we charged. Uh, we basically have like credits. So you would buy a, a certain level of credits. So the more pensers you did with Cobalt, the more. You had to pay, basically. Um, yeah. And it was always, in sense. both models, it's been a max. So it's been like a, a max credit balance that you can use or you cannot. You can choose not to use it, but that's fair. And in useful, it's a max MAU balance. So it's not like a flexible fluctuating kind of monthly changing uh, cost. It's a maximum level. So typically, it will only go upwards. It won't go up and down, up and down, up and down
0: okay I was just talking yesterday um, with the founder of Chornkey about that and then he mm. also added that there is um, there is a way to to reduce churn by introducing well first of all like you said the usage based um, mm. plans but also once they kind of on the verge of churning then you say well you know what <laughs> a couple more plans for you uh, so yeah where do you stand uh on this point uh do you somehow try to reduce your churn or you're okay yeah i
1: mean of course we want to reduce our churn um but we i think we are we're not gonna solve it in the traditional sas way which would be to introduce to build a customer success team and then you know that's the classical way to reduce churn is like Let's have a customer success team really handhold these customers.
0: Let's talk. So
1: they don't churn, right? Um, And we definitely, I I, I have to be honest, we've lost customers because we don't have a team like that because they basically never got engaged enough with the product, right? So maybe a customer success team could have kind of forced that engagement more, right? Um, The buy-in. You know, um, yeah. but we really try to solve it with the product instead. Like, how can we get them engaged in the product with the product? And that's why we are focused on that onboarding, uh, in-app onboarding to, to get them engaged with the product, get them to like it. Right. Um, so, so that's how we prevent churn. And, and when they then try to cancel, we don't offer them discounts or anything like that. But we do ask them why they want to churn. Uh, and then we can hopefully get a good answer and hopefully we can then, you know, uh, help yeah. give a good answer to why get they should back. not churn them, right? Um, yeah. Like a common thing would be, I'm not seeing enough traction on my onboarding flow. And given our tool is something, it's a building tool, right? But you can build bad onboarding with user flow, uh, right? You can take our tool and you can build really bad onboarding. And then if the reason is, I'm not seeing enough engagement with my onboarding flow, and then they say, that's why I want to churn with user flow. Well, then I can step in and say, or we can automatically send that to them. Well, are you following these best practices that we recommend you do, right? Like building action-driven content, making it clear and concise, uh, and so on, right? Um, And hopefully that can help them be convinced that, okay, maybe we could fix a couple of things to actually make it more engaging, um, so so that's that's a common uh, thing we see.
0: Right, right. Uh, that's that's also what I keep hearing. Like people who want to convert. So first of all, it's it's very difficult. Like if they decided uh, to to turn, then probably something has been going on for a while, and they just now decided to finally end the subscription. And the yeah. second is that. Um people sometimes don't know again how to use the tool, right? And they just want maybe um a personal solution, almost like, yeah, hand holding or just yeah. I don't know, give me an, an assistant that would fix something that's not working and you know I'm yeah. prepared to pay more. Uh but yeah, otherwise,
1: I, not, I think you know, there I see a strong correlation between the the companies who do a lot of demos and meetings. they they have a tendency to be those people who also don't end up engaging 100% in a tool, right? Where you then have those other people who are like signing up for this tool and they're really engaging in it. And then they also become engaged with the tool because it was a more natural engagement model, basically, right? Um, So, I mean, that's... They're they're definitely... uh, It's not that binary, right? But... um, But, but I definitely see a correlation. Um, I think another big thing for us is to look at the data and look at exactly, as you said, what are the early signs that somebody is likely to churn? Maybe they're not logging into your platform. That's the most common thing to look at, right? If they're not logging in, there's a problem, especially with a a high usage tool like ours, where people should be logging in on a frequent basis.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So just a couple more questions. Uh, the first one, the, what is so far the biggest win and the biggest failure for user flow?
1: So the biggest win has been that we've been able to grow with uh, three people. Uh, it's millions in AR. I think that's something we wake up every, every day and think, wow, how did we do this? Um, that that's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's really good. been amazing. Um, the biggest loss, yeah, I think it's a tough one because we're doing really, really well. Um, I think we, you're you're always seeing like smaller losses. You lose one big customer, right? Uh, and 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 when you're small, when you're a small team of three, those customer losses feel bad, right? Because you're really close to the customers and. You feel, could we have done something to solve that? But that's really healthy as well, because it just shows, yes, we, f- we feel with the customers. If some big customer is churning, what could we have done to make it better? What should we maybe change in our model to make it better? Um, and, and that, that is a healthy, but not so nice, uh, feeling, uh, to, to have, right? So definitely we've lost a, a big, some big customers here and there. Um, And and that's of course um, never nice. But then we also gained a lot of fantastic other big customers, right? Um, And I think when you're a small company like ours, um, you you tend to forget that now you have six. We are closing in on 600 customers. So of course there's going to be churn, right? But that churn is actually not. It's not, it's not a, a big share out of six hundred customers, right uh, but it we mm-hmm. still feel the pain of of losing customers, of course,
0: okay, well, yeah, that's just any operating business, basically,
1: yeah, so yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Makes sense. And, uh, the last one about, is about, um, well, it should have been about AI, but you already have that. So <laughs> that's old news. I, I'm happy to speak uh, more about right. AI.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk more about AI. We're not talking yeah. enough about this, uh, no. but, uh, but no, um, I want to ask you about just sales industry. What do you think would be a really cool headline to see in 2023 about
1: SaaS. I think, and this is something I'm actually, I'm going to SaaS doc in, uh, USA actually in, uh, I think it's in May or end of this month. Um, and I'm gonna be speaking about how I think we should change the SaaS organization, uh, and, uh, okay. that is something it's we've had the product like growth movement. For for a while now, we're getting into the end user era, but our SaaS organization hasn't changed. It's still very much the old sales led organization with customer success team, sales team, marketing team, product team, engineering team. Uh, And my argument is I think we can simplify a lot uh, to avoid silos, to avoid conflicts, to just make it a smarter organization. So I'm hoping that we will see a trend towards that in the sales industry um in, in twenty twenty-three.
0: Okay. So user flow brings user flow changes the sales industry. That, <laughs> that's the one. <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe, yes. Uh, I mean user flow, we're we constantly trying to change the sales industry. But yeah, no, I think in general we 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 need to do that. I think it's also a big learning from the um, we had the happy days, you know, the last uh, in 2020, uh, during the COVID years, the happy sas days where you could, money was cheap and you could, you were growing at like amazing rates. And now it's a much tougher time. Um, and I think the, 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 the cheap money kind of resulted in a bad org stru- structure, right? Like where you were hiring too many people, you were making too many teams that were not needed. And now you need to optimize and make it more effective and smarter. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I think besides from AI, uh, I hope to uh, <laughs> see some changes this in the this. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. That makes sense. And I, you know, I, I just noticed, um, like when the first lay layoffs, uh, came from like Twitter and all, all the huge companies and everyone yeah. was just so so upset and so weirded out because, you know, people lost their jobs. And obviously, this is a horrible thing. Uh, But now I see the trend, especially on LinkedIn, of people being more and more vocal about how, you know, the companies lost 30% of their workforce, but uh, none of them died, you know, it just, yeah, it's kind of spoke to the fact that, yeah, there was over hiring uh, yeah. in the recent years, and I think people are coming to to this realization that it has to change, and yeah. uh, companies do need to be more um, optimized and more effective mm-hmm. in what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It doesn't mean, of course, that you know I'm sympathetic to you know people losing their jobs. Uh, like I said, it's it's a horrible thing, but but yeah, it seems like something's got to change.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely a hard. Um, this these are the things that's gonna get even harder. So I don't think like the tech industry. I definitely feel with the people who were laid off, but I also know that a lot of tech workers are not gonna have a hard time finding a new job because it's such a growing growing market, uh, SaaS is still, we're still in the early days of SaaS, uh, it's just going to grow even more, um, and so we're, we're going to see even more jobs in the SaaS industry, so hopefully can even it out, uh, but I think for an individual company, uh, I definitely also think they should optimize more, right, but then we're just going to see more companies with, with uh, fewer employees, hopefully. Um, and then the other thing we'll see is AI. Uh, How's that going to change the whole labor market in general? Right. That's just insane. It's hard to even yeah. believe. Now in San Francisco, where I normally live, we have driverless cars. What does that mean for the tax industry? What does it mean for any person who had a job as a driver? Right. Um, so, so yeah, it's going to be a, a big, big paradigm change for the world. Um, and and hopefully we can find a good solution that where people can still live a good life even though uh they might not have a job uh due to these changes. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see.
0: Oh, by driverless cars. Oh, so freaky. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's fun though. They're now yeah. all over San Francisco. Uh so it's it's really it's it's a lot of fun.
0: I I live in Istanbul and yeah. The the traffic here is just absolutely crazy and like roads, but, you know, kind of similar to to San Francisco, I guess. But uh, just with, you know, people never, never um, cross the road when, you know, the the traffic light is green. They just like do the (laughs) complete opposite. So I would just, you know, I would love to see like a driverless Tesla here. It would be madness.
1: (laughs) For sure. For sure. They're definitely more careful.
0: Yeah. But uh, Esben, it's been it's been great talking with you. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, it's amazing. And uh, like I said, I, I really want to go now and check what you do uh, and maybe uh, see how it can help me in what I do. Um, yeah. On board guests for the podcast. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> it's, been,
1: it's, been a, it's been a pleasure being here uh, with you. So, yeah, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you so much and take care. You too. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna.sas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly, private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit SaaS.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.